episode 109 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, we have a special guest, ARCA and Xfinity Series driver and current driver coach, Michael Self joins us as we ask how drivers can improve their road course racing skills. That plus, of course, our big Road America preview and what we've learned from the road courses so far. But first, as always, we are starting with a deep dive. This week, in honor of episode 109, we're looking at the longtime owner of the 09 car in the Cup Series, James Finch's Phoenix Racing. David, James Finch, longtime NASCAR owner, known for uh, more stories than success, really, I guess. He's a, he was a rich businessman, made it big in construction, and just seemed to love the sport of racing, right? A smorgasbord of drivers throughout the years in both Xfinity and Cup. For some drivers, it almost seems like a rite of passage. You had to you had to ha- take a stint in the Phoenix car. But David, I think the highlight, at least competitively, for Phoenix Racing, of course, was the big win with Brad Keselowski at Talladega. Remember that race where Carl Edwards went sailing into the fence? Brad Keselowski told us who he was, and he's been the same driver ever since. But that, David, was a big win for James Finch. What should we know about him? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that you're right. That was the, the culmination moment. But... Really, this started as a Bush Series team predominantly around uh, Jeff Purvis, and it grew to a part-time Cup Series team. The program had high hopes going into the 1994 season. It was going to be Neil Bonnet's big comeback season. Country Time Lemonade was the sponsor. Hoosier Tires were on the car, Uh, but unfortunately, Bonnet was killed during practice for the Daytona 500 that year, and that crucial step forward, uh, it still would have been a limited schedule, but it did not come to pass. Uh, So the team pressed forward, uh, part-time basis funded either by Finch's construction company, as you mentioned, or longtime sponsor, Mikasuki Casino and Resort. And with that, they started running close to the full schedules in the early 2010s. Only the one win that you mentioned in 251 starts at the Cup Series level. But bet your ass they partied after all 251 of those starts. Or maybe it was just one party and it kept going. (laughs) But James Finch uh, with his omnipresent red solo cup, um, they did things differently. They operated out of Spartanburg, South Carolina. You can actually uh, see the shop from I-85 as you're uh, driving north or south. It is now a guy roofing facility. Um, longtime neighbor of Phoenix Racing and then eventual sponsor. Before that, the shop was occupied by H. Scott Motorsports, who bought the team and the shop from Finch in 2013. But as the team itself went on, this team spent a lot of time as a start and park team when that tactic became popular uh, in and around uh, the, the economic recession. It went full throttle, though, At Daytona and Talladega, Phoenix Racing did 11 of their 15 career top 10 finishes came on the drafting tracks. Uh, Different drivers in the car, Jeff Bodine, Mike Wallace, Johnny Sauter, Brad Keselowski, as you mentioned, Mike Bliss, Kurt Busch, and (laughs) Regan Smith. Uh, Firstly, I too would require a red solo cup uh, to work with that roster, but (laughs) each of them did score top 10 finishes on behalf of Phoenix racing. Uh, Johnny Sauter specifically got one for himself in Phoenix, uh, Arizona, Phoenix raceway in uh, 2005. 
And then uh, Kurt Busch, I think, had, yeah. if it's not Keselowski's performance, this one at Sonoma, memorable, uh, in which he, he finished third. And basically the car was broken and smoldering on the, on the racetrack, uh, after it was over. Uh, but the, the highlight is Keselowski and really that when the, the, that step that James Finch provided Keselowski, uh, in 2009, just 15 races in the cup series for Brad K. Uh, of course he made some of those with Hendrick Motorsports, but he had a 1.8 peer that year. It ranked 12th among all drivers that season. And that was before he was officially a cup rookie. In hindsight, that was a sign of things to come. And a lot of it transpired due to Phoenix Racing and car owner James Finch. Yes, a lot of big names, maybe not the, the results, but to to trace the the history and the names that came through there, it, it plays a part into their history. That's why it's cool doing some of these deep dives. You mentioned their shop down in Spartanburg. Uh, I was there when it was officially H. Scott, but it was still all the remnants of of Phoenix Racing. Uh, Brad Keselowski's trophy was still there from Talladega. They had a big Elvis in there, just a statue of Elvis. They had a bar inside the shop. I mean, it was still the, the James Finch uh, era, if you will, inside H. Scott Motorsports a few years ago. So that was always a, a fun time to see it down there. I'm glad you mentioned the Kurt Busch year because that was a big deal, right? It, it, it was a team that, that could give opportunity to someone who needed it, right? To someone who needed to be on the track. And we don't see many James Finches anymore, right? A rich guy, loves racing, loves to spend some money, right? Uh, and just uh, be at the track and maybe uh, you know win the party and not necessarily race. We don't see as much of that anymore, David. Yeah, and, and you're right. For a lot of those guys, it, it was maybe a redemption tour yep. of sorts. I would argue that James Finch was the right owner at the right time when those guys needed it. So, I mean, really, he was almost uh, a, a way station of sorts. And, and maybe, maybe that's a bit degrading, but he, he kind of was a, a, just a way station, a stopover for some of these drivers that kind of needed to gather their uh, their thoughts and move their career forward from there. And it worked and it and it lasted a while. And we still talk about them. We, we, we remember them, as you mentioned, the stories <laughs> that we can talk about Phoenix Racing. Uh, are are all relevant. Um, just an interesting time, unique team within the sport. Um, I kind of do hope that we see something like it again, just this uh, free-spirited bunch kind of doing their own thing uh, against the, the grains of the norm. Yes, and for more on James Finch, I uh, you should Google it because there's there's a lot more to the story, both in the past and currently. But we'll cover that in another podcast. But episode 109, dedicated to James Finch's Phoenix Racing. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, 
Anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's get this episode started. It is always awesome when we have a guest here on Positive Regression, especially somebody who has been behind the steering wheel of a race car. And today on this episode, we have Michael Self. Michael is an eight-time race winner in what's now the ARCA Pro Series West. He won nine times in the ARCA National Series, made seven starts. You remember his car in the Xfinity Series for JD Motorsports back in 2017. And now he's the general manager of Silver Hair Racing, a team competing in trans am's ta2 series but michael first of all thank you for joining us we want you here on the podcast because you are also a driver coach slash performance advisor a little slash there on on the title how did that come to be working with other drivers and trying to enhance their skills yeah well well, first off thank you that was an awesome introduction by the way you nailed it i hit all (laughs) those stats out of the park right there um but thank you guys for for having me on it's great to be here um you know the the coaching thing has been something I'm going to go way back on a little bit to when I was, uh, I think, 18, 17 or 18 years old. And I grew up out in Salt Lake City, Utah, and our local track out there at the time was Miller Motorsports Park. And they had the, the Ford Racing School, which was really the only school backed by Ford in the United States at the time. Um, you know, it was basically for for whoever, right? If you were uh, an everyday person, you wanted to come get experience on a racetrack, you could come to our one-day schools, two-day schools. There were there were hot lap, you know, events where you'd run for three hours and just get time in a race car on a racetrack. Um, I got the opportunity to coach out there being a local from the track and it was something that I always really really enjoyed it was it was fun for me to get outside the race car and share my knowledge with people who who maybe didn't know anything about racing right it was you just take it down to such a basic level and people are enthralled by that they're interested in that and that really got me hooked on working with people um kind of thinking about racing in my own own way a little bit differently, I guess, because you're always teaching someone something a little bit different or someone's got a different perspective on it. And that was always really, really cool to me along with sharing my passion. So I, I started working out at the school. And then when I moved to North Carolina, that was in 2014. Um, I, I started coaching a little bit for, if you guys remember, uh, H Scott Motorsports at the time, at the time, uh, Mike Ricci over there was a good friend of mine. And he hooked me up with a couple drivers right there off the bat. Um, one of which was Justin Haley. And so Justin Haley ran for, for H Scott. Um, I guess it was 2015 was his first year. We went over there and, and knew he was going to run for the Canaan championship. They signed me up to be his driver coach and spotter for that entire year, but he also bought a trans am TA two car. And, and I remember going down to Sebring early, you know, I, I hadn't heard of the TA2 series. I was very familiar with um, Trans Am from Trans Am back in the 70s. But as far as I was concerned, it was a little bit dead, so to speak. You know, there wasn't big car counts. It wasn't something that was still a, a big series or something that was very well known. And so we went down to Sebring early in the year. I think it was January. They just bought this TA2 car. And they were like, you know, it, it's very similar to the K&N car. Come take a look at it. And, and I remember I got down there and I was like, you, I'm going I'm to jump in this thing. I'm going to take over your car for a minute. And I'm just going to learn what this thing is all about. And um, I remember getting in it and, and making just a handful of laps, you know, four or five laps. And I was like, this is just like the K&N car. I was like, this is very, very similar. At the time, they were both running uh, a bias ply tire, very similar construction tire. 
Um, the weight was the same. I think the TA two car at the time was about four or 500 pounds less than the Xfinity, excuse me, than the K and N car was. Um, and it just drove very, very familiar to, to what I've been racing in the K and N series up to that point. And so I said, man, this is, everyone should be doing this, right? There's like immediately, there's nothing better for, for guys that want to learn road racing in NASCAR than this, this is awesome. And so went throughout that season with Justin and, um, coached him. He ran, I think five or six TA two races, the full K and N championship. The next year he ran for both championships, the TA two championship, as well as the K and N championship. Of course he won the, the K and N East championship that year. Um, I think we finished, I think we finished second or third in the TA two series points. Um, and about that time is when I saw TA two really starting to catch on. Um, I think more guys were seeing whether they were seeing that Justin was doing it or they were just becoming more aware of it. Um, you had uh, Matt Tiff started to come over and dabble in it a little bit. Um, I think about that time, you know, Ty Dillon had done a little bit of it. So fast forward a little bit, you know, Justin moves up to go run the truck series. I decided to stay with the, the TA two stuff. And in 2017, I think is when you really started to see guys take note. I think that's the year when Christopher Bell came in and started doing a little bit of it. Um, Harrison Burton started to do a little bit of it. Matt Tift was there. And, and it just kind of grew over the next couple of years to, to what the series is now is a great home for development. And for me, it's been something that I've been able to, to make a home for myself, coaching guys and sticking with that initial philosophy of these things are so similar to the K&N cars or even the Xfinity cars or the ARCA cars. Um, this is something that guys really need to take advantage of. And it's been fun to see it grow and the series get more exposure and notoriety because of that. Michael, you mentioned uh, Christopher Bell. You know, for a driver like him, all world in terms of dirt racing and then makes the decision that he wants to go stock car racing. It's already a little bit out of his wheelhouse, but he knew that going in. What he didn't know going in was that he would be driving a lot of road courses uh, based on this year's schedule change. So for a driver like him, um, he doesn't come to you with prior road racing experience, but clearly he's elite in another discipline of auto racing. So it is not as if you are working with a novice. How big then is the learning curve for somebody like a Christopher Bell? Are, are you starting from scratch or can you build off of the, uh, the foundation that's already there? I think every driver, you can, you can utilize the foundation, but it's really interesting to see how the foundation is different. Um, let's, let's take two, two guys I'm very familiar with, uh, Harrison Burton and Christopher Bell, two guys I've worked a ton with, um, you know, Christopher's foundation was that, like we talked about David, when you wrote your article, his first time in the car was go out, the thing gets sideways, you stand on the gas, he's driving it like a sprint car. I mean, it was just what you'd imagine is almost like, like video game speed, right? It's like, there was no real solid mentality behind it. It was just go fast by whatever means. There was no solid method methodology. And I remember he came in after his first session and I was like, you're fast, but don't get used to it because it's not going to last the way that you're doing it right now. This is a sprint car. You can't just burn the rear tires off the thing. Um, but, but the speed was obviously right there. And then we look over at Harrison Burton. Harrison is very methodical. Harrison has the foundation of, you know, Harrison doesn't tear stuff up very often. Harrison kind of works his way up to things. I think um, throughout his entire career that I've watched, you know, he may start the weekend a, a little more timid than other guys, but by the end of it, he's always there on pace. Um, so you, you look at those two and say, look, every driver has the foundation. It's just 
the foundation is so much different for each one. And that's where I feel like I've really been able to capitalize is, is understanding that and understanding those differences and tapering to those differences for each driver and, and listening to them, you know, listening to what kind of feedback they like, what kind of feedback works for them. And that's, I think the most important part of coaching guys. From a driver and a coach's perspective, uh, we hear about all the tools drivers have at their disposal. Uh, the, the sim rigs that all the, the manufacturers provide. I, I know drivers watch a lot of tape. You know, sometimes the younger guys are watching the cup guys, like a Kevin, like the entire race of a Kevin Harvick in car or something like that, right? Uh, we've heard some drivers, you know, make laps at GoPro Motorplex, all that stuff. What is the best tool for learning for a driver? Since you've both been a driver and a coach, what what can drivers utilize the best to help them, especially for a track they've never been to? So, you know, man, that's such a, that's a, that's a tough question because everyone is going to be different. I mean, you've got guys out there that live by the simulator and, you know, Toyota simulator, for example, which I've, I've been fortunate enough to try out a handful of times. Um, it actually didn't work at all for me because I got extremely sick when I was using it. Oh. The, the motion sickness I would get was terrible when I was using the Toyota simulator. So I was able to run a handful of laps on it. And I remember getting out my first time being like, there's, there's just no way, you know, I can't do this. I've got iRacing Sims, you know, I've got an iRacing Sim at home, just a little stable, you know, solid seat set up on a TV screen. Um, but when I put on the 3D glasses and the motion Sim, it, it just didn't work at all for me. Um, so that was, that was never worthwhile. And for me, the problem with Sim driving was always that there was a disconnect. My brain always told me that this isn't real. This is a video game and there's no penalty. There's nothing wrong. You know, you cut the course, you run into the wall, you just reset it. That, that was always um, a little bit hard for me. iRacing was good as far as learning a new track, but it was something that I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on because I was always afraid of developing bad habits. But you know, there's guys out there that, like I said, they live by that. I mean, Bell loves the sim. Um, he's on it all the time and is able to make really, really positive gains off it. For me, I was more of the video guy. Um, I remember back at Charlotte, I think it was in 2019, uh, when ran the Architest there and we were fast, had a ton of speed, but I just felt a little bit off. I felt there wasn't something that was that was quite right. So I actually, it's, it's coincidental that you mentioned, it. I went back and that night after the test, I watched a lot of Kevin Harvick footage from the mm -hmm. cup race there. And I noticed that Kevin was taking a much narrower entry into turn one and three than I was much straighter. Um, and so as soon as we got back for the race, I tried that and it, it worked. I mean, for me, went out, qualified on the pole, dominated the majority of the race, had a, an incident late in it, but everyone's a little bit different. Um, you know, my personal feeling is there's no substitute for actual seat time. So if you can get on the track, let's say it's a road course, which a lot of guys don't have a lot of experience and you experience that and you can go to a place like Coda that's so difficult or a place like mid Ohio, that's very technical and you can make laps in something like a TA two car. Personally, there's, there's no, there's just no replacement for that, especially in the TA two stuff. We're very fortunate to have the cars fully outfitted with, with aim data systems. Um, so we can hook up, sensors to pretty much whatever we want to we can get brake data throttle data steering input data you know yaw data off the cars and for the engineers that's great but also as a coach that's tremendously valuable to me because we've also got video cameras inside the car that run all the time so when a driver comes off i can go watch their entire session from the onboard camera and overlay that with data and go you know look here's what i'm seeing on the data i match that with the video you know why are you slow in this corner because the data says this when we overlay with the video okay well you're turning in early your roll speed slow you know your angle isn't quite right um and so the the feedback that i've gotten is hey that's invaluable 
because it's such accurate feedback. It's something the drivers can work on and correct and are getting feedback and, and accurate feedback right there that it's, that it's really beneficial. And I think the Sims, the really good ones have tried to replicate that um, as far as having data on there. But again, there's just, for me, there's always that little disconnect. that It's just not, it's not real. It's not hundred percent. Right. Michael, with the increased road course schedule for the cup series, the entire stock car racing ecosystem is, is rocked essentially. Uh, and unless Arca changes dramatically the schedule and lowers its cost, there is now this unfilled need for road racing at the development levels. And you've done a very good job of selling TA2. Uh, I recently wrote about NASCAR Euro becoming this affordable alternative uh, pipeline, but you're firmly in the TA2 series. Where can it go from here? Can, can young drivers go there now and maybe do more, even, even if they can't afford to supplement their oval experience in ARCA or trucks, can they do enough and accomplish enough in TA2 to become valuable road racers at the Cup Series level? Yeah, I, I really hope so. And I do think so. I'm a huge advocate for, for TA2 for all the reasons that I just mentioned, because I've seen it firsthand have such a positive impact on a lot of the NASCAR guys. And when I assumed the role of general manager at Silverhair Racing this year, I said, look, guys, TA2 has a, has a great market right now. We're only going to get more road courses on the NASCAR schedule. You know, I firmly believe that in a couple of years, we'll have possibly 10 or more road yeah. courses on the, on the cup schedule. Um, and there, there has to be, like you said, that affordable outlet TA2, I think is still at a, a price point where a guy can come in and he can either run a race weekend or uh, a guy can run a full series and it doesn't just break the bank. You know, I know it's significantly more affordable than running an ARCA car. Um, and I think, you know, TA2, I think you only have to be 15 to compete full time in it. So we, we get that question. I get that question and think through that a lot, you know, do you take a, a young kid and say he's got go-kart experience or some dirt car experience, maybe some junior late model experience. Um, you, you face the reality that as of right now, you can't really compete in trucks or Xfinity until you're 18, right? You can only run a handful of the schedule. So what do you, what do you do? Do you put them in an ARCA car and go run the Berlin's and the Elko's and the South Boston's in a heavy stock car and get that kind of short track experience? Or do you, do run um, a TA2 car, which is also a heavy stock car on, on the road courses, which are a lot of road courses that they're, they're going to run in the future. Um, the issue that I come up with there is that you're going to be paying, you know, sometimes $60,000, maybe more to go run South Boston in an ARC car where you can pay 25 to 30,000 to go run road America in a TA2 car. And road America is a track that's probably going to be on the NASCAR schedule at some level of NASCAR for years to come, you're probably going to go race against the, the Christopher Bells and the, the good NASCAR guys that are running that event, as well as some of the best road racers in the country, in my opinion. And, and you know, I, I, I would say let, let the driver decide for themselves, you know, let the parents or the, the young driver or the funded driver make that decision. You know, what do they think is going to be, the the most beneficial um you know i remember when i was young when i ran the canaan west series the only really relevant tracks that we raced for xfinity or arca or trucks were iowa phoenix um and sonoma you know outside of that we raced roseville we raced stockton we raced irwindale and it was great it was great getting short track experience 
But I remember the first time I got into a, a mile and a half, I was kind of like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Yeah, I'm still in a big, heavy stock car, but this doesn't really translate to, to what I've been doing in the past. And so, like I said, everyone's going to be different. You know, I don't have a firm answer of which one is going to be the best. I, I stick by the TA2 and I vouch for it. I, I've seen... I've seen a combination of the two be really, really good in Justin Haley's case when he ran the the KN series and the the TA2 series. I saw him improve as a driver dramatically that year because he was getting so much experience on different tracks every single weekend, different style tracks. His adaptability um, skills really, really grew. And that's something I, I think is really important as a driver. Good stuff. Good perspective on that uh, because we are going to Road America, where uh, a lot of us—I mean, myself—I've never been there. I've only seen it from afar. I'm certainly not a driver, so uh, uh, using your coaching theme of making it as basic as possible for us <laughs> and our listeners, Michael. Oh, what matters? What do you want the car to be able to do at Road America? Give us some finer points that we should be thinking of this weekend. So, Road America, in my opinion, is a very uh, aero-dependent track. Very much the opposite of um mid-ohio in my opinion mid-ohio is very technical very tight corners um very very slow a lot of first gear corners um where road america is a lot of fast sweeping corners um it's road america rewards the guy that drives really really hard i.e christopher bell winning in the xfinity car a couple years ago um that's kind of what i what i look at there And, and you know i work on with data on guys are, I always look at roll speed. It's really easy for guys to overslow the corners at mid Ohio. There's a lot of, excuse me, at road America, a lot of very hard breaking zones. Um, it's, it's huge. I mean, what is it? It's, it's 2.20 ish seconds, I think in a, in a TA two car around there. And I, you know, there's what one or two first gear corners, I think. So you, you just work on roll speed. You work on those attributes that a guy like Christopher Bell has of knowing the threshold in the middle of a corner, how much roll speed and momentum can you carry? And, and that definitely plays a major factor there at, uh, at Road America. Uh, last thing, Michael, and, and this is just a hypothetical for you. Uh, last week, Tyler Reddick said that he wished there was not practice this weekend before the Cup Series race. Uh, at Road America, because all the recent Xfinity Series drivers that have been there would have at least a leg up for as long as it took the Cup Series guys to figure the place out. There is obviously a practice session, so we're not going to see this, but I'm curious, how long do you think it would take somebody like, like Martin Truex or Denny Hamlin to figure out Road America in a live race situation? How, how quickly could that happen? Well, so I'm, I'm going to answer your question, then I'm going to have a, a follow-up for you guys, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're talking about Denny Hamlin or Martin Truex or those guys, I don't know, three, four laps, you know, those guys are just so good. And I, I go back to adaptability. They're going to figure it out right away. Those guys have done some sim work. They've watched video. They know the layout of the track. You know, their their threshold is so high on what they know the car is capable of and what they're capable of. Um, they're just going to pick it up, you know, really quickly right off the bat. But... I don't know if you guys are, are aware of this, but um, you know, this is a, like I said, this is a big weekend for us at silver hair. We're going into road America for the TA two race. We race on Saturday after the Xfinity race. Uh, we've got Christopher Bell and Harrison Burton are going to be, be racing with us. Um, but last week NASCAR came out and said, so we have a, a Thursday practice session. Uh, I believe it's total of about two and a half hours of practice just in TA two cars. Then we have a 20 minute qualifying session on Friday. 
NASCAR released something that said, if you're going to run the TA2 practice day on Thursday, you must make a, a strong attempt or basically what they see as a, a legitimate effort to also race the race on Saturday, the TA2 race. Uh -huh. NASCAR is not going to allow drivers to run just the TA2 practice day on Thursday, which we were... Uh, thrown for a loop by that one. Um, that definitely took us to took us off guard. It was interesting to see NASCAR kind of come in and say, you know, put the hammer down on something that's been happening for years. Yeah. Um, you know, for every year that we've gone to Road America and Mid Ohio, we've had guys that just run the the early practice, the practice day, and so that was um, interesting to see how that came came into effect. And we're fortunate, you know, we're prepared to to make the changes. And we had a couple guys that were only going to run the practice day. One of them bailed out, one of them being Harrison's now just going to run the entire weekend with us. And we're lucky at silver hair to be able to, to do that. But I, I thought that was NASCAR's perspective on it was basically, we don't allow guys to just run practice in the truck and not run the truck race. Why would we allow it to, to happen to another series? So it's just kind of a, kind of an interesting thing to swirl on and to think about that's going on right there. Hmm. Yeah, that is, that is a good nugget for the weekend. All right. Good stuff. Michael self. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, winner driver performance enhancer. Can we call you that? Michael? Is that? Yeah. Is that I like it. I like All that. Right. That's Michael good. self performance enhancer, new business card for you. Yeah. Oh, I, I appreciate it. And, and thank you guys. Definitely check out the TA2 race this weekend. You know, we're ecstatic. We're, we've had a great year so far with silver hair. We're definitely building on things. Excited to have Christopher Bell and Harrison Burton racing alongside Tyler Casera and Maurice Hull this weekend up there. Uh, I think we've got 38 to 40 cars on the entry list. Um, the TA2 stuff puts on an awesome show. I mean, you're watching the top 10 guys, some of the best road racers in the country and, uh, uh, you know, really good comparison for the the NASCAR guys and, and how they're going to run on, on Sunday or Saturday compared to how the TA2 guys race on Saturday afternoon. And they usually put on an awesome event. So I, I urge everyone to check it out and, uh, and keep up with it. Excellent insight. Michael Self, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. What a way to get into our Road America preview, David, because, uh, you know, hearing from a driver, hearing what they're preparing for and all that, it only goes along with what we've been talking about much of the years because there are so many road courses on the schedule. This one being a new one for many of the drivers. Cup Series never been at Road America in the modern era, if you will. So let, let's start our preview off for Road America by talking about all the road courses, David. Uh, so far, what we've learned this season, because we've had three of the races so far. Has anything surprised you so far into the road course schedule? Yes, but it's not statistical. It's the level of buy-in. And, and maybe this is just small sample, purely qualitative stuff, but it seems from the drivers and team members that I've talked with that road courses, the expanded schedule, and specifically CODA, they were all up for it. Uh, Coda as an event had a lot of issues. All of them were weather related, which I think is a shame because it sounded as if just from preparation, game planning, everyone had something up their sleeves, ready to go, uh, ready to try. And we didn't get to see that race. We saw another race, a rain soaked race, but a dry race at Coda for NASCAR was and still is something that I look forward to seeing because of the collective buy-in, the uh, additional training, as we talked with Michael Self about. I don't think that was totally the case with the Bristol dirt race between the skeptical drivers, the crew chiefs sort of just 
shrugging on setups that might work. Uh, there was none of that with Coda or for Road America this weekend. These tracks are new to the Cup Series schedule, but I, I'm impressed they are already held in very high regard. All right. I like that perspective on it. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, what surprised me is, you know, coming into the season, right? What, and maybe it was naive, of course, but you're just thinking baseline results. But you, you just thought Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., right? Going to dominate everything. Hmm. I don't think we've seen that. I mean, we've maybe in, if you look at some of the statistics, I know you tweeted out some good numbers about Martin Truex Jr. and his passing, but in the results, like Chase Elliott won the rain race at Coda, but Maybe it's not so much the, the lack of domination, but we have seen some new players at these road courses. I think yeah. maybe that has surprised me, is that it has not been the 9 and 19 show in the first three races. Yeah. Yeah, but and I think some of it does circle back from, you know, look, Christopher Bell won it the Daytona road course race. Well, he's been taking it upon himself to become a better road racer ever since he stepped foot in NASCAR. And really, a, a lot of these drivers have. And now that is coming to the surface. They're doubling down on whatever tool that they use to get better, whether it's sim racing, whether it's getting in the seat of another car and learning, whether it's asking questions, what have you. But now because of the expanded schedule, I, I, I mean, I think we're entering a world in which if you're bad at road racing, I don't, think you can hack it in the cup series. If we're just going to continue adding more races, it's going to become more and more of a skill that requires prevalence across all different road course facilities. All of them are unique, of course, but I think what you're hitting on is kind of the way things are going to have to be moving forward. All right. Uh, that's fair. Now, that's one side, right? I mean, who was kind of impressed or maybe surprised us? There's a flip side to that. Who's disappointed a little bit? David, top of my list, only because of the results. Uh, I would say I'm a little disappointed in William Byron, because mm. when I look at motorsports analytics, I look at his speed on road courses. He's ninth in speed. He's had speed at road courses. You've talked about it on this podcast for a long time. He's had polls. He's had. He's been very good at road courses. But then you look at points scored, David, 24th in the three races. He is 24th in points scored. That just seems like a missed opportunity to me. Yeah, that's a good shout. Uh, the, the, the Sonoma race was a tough one for him. Uh, you know, for me personally, it's kind of similar along those lines. Ryan Blaney, and it's mm. just based on what I've seen from him this year. He's finished 15th, 17th, and 10th, which is okay. Uh, he, but no single race point total greater than 27. But Allen, in terms of just being able to move through traffic, he's at an elite level. He's the second most efficient passer this season on road courses. And someone who can move that efficiently uh, across any road course track should not have just one top 10 finish. He should not rank just 14th in points earned from road course races. And I think the culprit is uh, it's sort of easy to identify. His car isn't particularly fast. <laughs> he ranks 16th in median lap time, 25th in average best lap time. He can't even get a whiff of clean air. Get him a car, please, because clearly this is a driver able to do a lot of heavy lifting and, and there's there's nothing else at his disposal right now. He should be contending for wins in cup series road course races. And instead it's 
rare when he finishes 10th. You mentioned the drivers don't really have the option to not be good anymore, right? At road courses. So in terms of disappointments, I'm going to throw Austin Dillon in again. Mm. Uh, he came into this year with zero top tens on road courses. He still has zero top tens on road courses. And look, every other place, you can look at the point standings. He's knocking out of the park. Great start to the season. Uh, but eventually, David, I mean, it's got to come around. You would think, I mean, if you want to compete, as you were saying, you have to come around and improve your road racing skills. Still on zero top ten. So even though there wasn't as much expected of him, I still have him on my disappointed list. Yeah, and and if you're you're bringing that to your team, if you're good elsewhere, I mean, you're you're almost gonna have to be just dynamite elsewhere mm. to make up for your shortcomings on road courses. And I'll commend him; it's been a good season to date for Austin Dillon and the three team, but it hasn't been that good to to make up for what has been lost in the road course races. And that sort of is going to go for any driver. I mean, if we're adding street courses and looking at more road courses and maybe building more road courses, I don't know. Yeah, this is a skill that you can't ignore anymore. Um, you know, we we had a laugh when Kevin Harvick was incredibly skeptical about Bristol Dirt, but also, you I mean, it, it's a one-off race. You can't really fault him for thinking the way that he thought. He didn't really sign up to be a dirt racer. Not much adaptation is required if we're only going there once a year. But that excuse doesn't exist with the road courses. So th- these these races, and while there isn't enough playoff representation to warrant the championship teams going it all in, trying to figure out how to dominate at these places... Uh, it's still, it's still crucial. And there are still, I mean, you've pointed this out repeatedly this year. These are opportunities where guys in the middle of the pack and the bottom of the pack, uh, can, can surprise and win, you know, just imagine if AJ Allmendinger was running full time. Just imagine if, uh, somebody like a James Davison had far better equipment than what he had at his disposal. This is the low hanging fruit. So you have those guys j- just sort of waiting for for that opportunity. Yeah, we we've come to a point where you you can't be bad on road courses at least for an extended period of time and uh, and get away with it. But I, I share your disappointment uh, in Austin <laughs> Dillon only because it it really wasn't until this year that this became a thing. And if he improves and, and that could start this weekend, then that's sort of a new narrative for him moving forward. But to that front of, of overachieving, I'm, I'm shouting out guys like Chase Briscoe, Eric Jones, Chris Busher. When you look at their points score, David, uh, on the three road courses, you know, they're in the teens, right? They're just outside the top 10 in terms of points scored. That's far outdoing what they're doing for the season as a whole. You know what I'm saying? So they are, they seem to be taking advantage of these road course opportunities. So I want to give those three drivers a shout out because there is a noticeable jump when you look at points scored in terms of ones who can maybe turn themselves around this weekend. uh, I mentioned William Byron, the results not matching the speed. Would that be a case of potential positive regression, David? Maybe William Byron can throw it down this weekend. I feel, I feel like all four Hendrick motorsports cars (laughs) could, can probably do that uh, at this point. Um, yeah, I think the, it's kind of like what we saw at, at Pocono, maybe one or two cars had just unbelievable raw speed, but there was enough elsewhere. And at Pocono, it was 
within the strategy. I mean, you could you could just go off sequence and all of a sudden you were formidable for the race win. Well, I think the same scenario will exist this weekend with a lot of teams. The Chip Ganassi racing teams, I feel really good about, not necessarily because of speed, but because of driver ability and what they have displayed this year with strategy, that might be enough to make up the difference. And and the, the flip side of that is if you are William Byron or Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson or Alex Bowman, then you can't have any mistake. You can't have a vulnerability because you're going to have everyone behind you go off sequence to you in an effort to pass you. So there's, yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot that that can go wrong. Often it doesn't, especially right now for Hendrick Motorsports, but that's kind of the thing that you have to worry about. All right. Well, given all that, all that we've talked about, David, we've heard from Michael Self. We've talked a little bit about the road courses as a whole. Who is your pick to win? And give me a specific reason why this weekend. The most efficient road course passer in 2019 was Martin Truex. The most efficient road course passer in 2020 was Martin Truex. Oh, through three road course races this <laughs> year, the most efficient passer is Martin Truex. The driver with the highest retention rate on double file restarts on road courses, and that rate, I kid you not, is 100%. Wow. Is Martin Truex. <laughs> that is going to be my pick. Uh, now, is he going to have the fastest car? That I have no idea. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports' road course program appears to be a notch above what Truex has right now with Joe Gibbs Racing. That might be true. It might not. But it is inarguable the influence that Martin Truex has in NASCAR road course races. He is legitimately great at this, at, at this particular discipline. And I, I I just can't see how he won't impact this race somehow, and I am betting on that impact. All right. He is a fifth in terms of road course speed, but ninth in terms of points scored. So a little work to be done there. Maybe some positive regression if he can live up to that speed and take advantage of all those passing numbers and stats. I like your pick, David, but I'm going with someone different. I'm going with the 22 car, Joey Logano. Uh, looking at the stats, he has the best production. He is the best peer performer on 750 tracks so far this year. One of the best passers on road courses as well this year. And he scored more points than anyone on road courses so far this year. He has three top fives in the three races. So, David, I'm playing the odds, putting it together, and I'm going with the 22. And I made this pick before we talked to Michael Self, and the fact that Michael Self said Road America rewards the aggressive drivers, I like my pick even more now. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you feel great. No, look, Logano was, uh, he has been in contention at, well, until Sonoma, was in contention at at Coda, uh, the Daytona Road Course, both uh, the points race and the Bush Clash. So it seems like dating back to last year with that Roval race, that the road course ways of Logano have turned around after, I don't know, kind of a, a, a year or so swoon in that department. I, I think it's it's a good pick. And as we said, I don't know that it's going to come down to just, even if he doesn't have, I, I know he has good 750 speed, but even if it if he just isn't on par with Hendrick, there are ways to work around that. and. Just because of that, I, I feel good about a lot of these guys up front. I, I, I think this could 
be a fun race. Even if someone just goes out and, and yards it and is gone uh, from second to 10th, I don't really know where to go. So uh, that's why I'm going to bet big on the guy that I know can influence this regardless of whatever else happens. But I also like your uh, your choice of Logano. All right. Well, those are our picks to win. How about a contrarian performer for us, David? Who you got? Uh, Ryan Priest. And uh, I'm I'm focused on the passing here as well. He ranks as the fifth most efficient passer this year on road courses. His JTG racing team uh, at this point, I never really know what I'm going to get from them. But Priest does take to these tracks very well. Uh, I think Trent Owens can map this race out strategically. He is a plus seven on positions earned this season through green flag pit stops on road courses, uh, coupled with Priest's ability to pass. I feel okay. I, I feel pretty good about their, uh, their shot this weekend. They just, they just have got to, got to build, uh, Priest did race once at road America. He finished 11th in 2016 driving for JD motorsports. So, uh, he did, he, he has experience in uh, relative back marker equipment at this very racetrack. So I think that might be, uh, a place where you can have some application. All right, good stuff. My contrarian pick for the second week in a row, David. Ross Chastain. Uh, it didn't work out so well last week, which was disappointing, not only for me, but obviously him, of course, and the 42 team. But uh, for but for a lot of the same reasons I picked Logano f- for the win, I'm picking Ross as my contrarian performer. Again, when it comes to road courses this season, he moves up in every metric compared to the rest of the season, right? He has a better production on road courses than overall. He's a better passer on road courses than overall. This is what the stats say. His car is faster on road courses than overall. Points scored, all that stuff. So I'm taking him again, second week in a row, and hopefully uh, that that bad luck bug doesn't hit him because we saw what he did in Coda. Uh, He's been good momentum lately. I hope he gets it back this weekend. He is my contrarian pick for the road course at Road America. We'll see what he can do. All right, good episode, David. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, TuneIn, and YouTube. We are available no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating or review. This stuff helps spread the word. We, of course, notice it is so appreciated. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. We'd love to answer them, actually. Reach out on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you're always working hard. What do you got this week? This week for NBC Sports, uh, writing about Tyler Reddick and the driver that he is becoming. He is now very close to being viable across all track types. Also, I will have a Road America race preview on Sunday morning. So follow along on Twitter at David Smith MA uh, to stay on top of all of that. All right, good stuff. As always, make sure you hit up my social media accounts at Alan Kavana on Twitter. Every Thursday, we get you set for the race weekend, not only in NASCAR, but across all forms of motorsports with our quick hits video from Speed Sport. We do another one on Tuesday, reviewing the weekend. So just make sure you keep it on there. And of course, watch Fantasy Live. Remember to set your lineup, fantasylivenascar.com. Myself and Amy Long will try to provide you with some uh, good advice for the weekend about who to start. It's getting to that crunch time where you don't have many good starts left. So you may have to start someone other than Kyle Larson because you're out of him or you want to save him. We got good advice for you. Make sure you watch that. Again, just uh, hook it up on my social media channels. You'll see it all. But another good episode. Glad to have Michael Self. Thank you. Thank him for joining us once again. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. This is Positive Regression. Positive Regression.
Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug & Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug & Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.